You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today, we have a guest speaker. We're going to be in Psalm 127 today, which is page 298. In the Bibles uh, in front of you, so there's a shelf in the chair in front of you, and if you grab that Bible, and you can uh, read along with me as I'm reading, but then if you don't have your own Bible, you're free to take that Bible, that's your Bible. Uh, if it's a little tattered, uh, if it's got little kids have drawn and colored it, you could trade that in for a newer Bible uh, in the office, but we would love you to have that Bible and that to be your Bible if you don't have one. Now this morning, I believe the main point of this passage that we're going to look at in Psalm 127 is that God is in control and only the work we do with him will last and that work will be joyful and bountiful. In other words, everything we do, if the Lord is not working in it to bless and sustain it, will be at best for nothing. Well, happy Father's Day. This is an uh, exciting passage, right, for Father's Day, something to be anxious about them. I and many of us, when we hear that, you hear, well, the, wait, wait, if the Lord's not working, it could be for nothing. Or right away, you're jumping to anxiety. How do I know if the Lord is in it? How do I know if God's working? And well, my prayer and my aim today is to show you in the text not only where I get that main point, but also a way out of anxiety and into the blessed peace that only God can give. I do want to uh, just say a few things this morning. First of all, reminder that we have the podcast, so that number up on the screen. If you have any questions, um, feel free to, to text those in, and then that podcast comes out midweek, and we'll seek to, to answer those questions for you. Um, the reason I say that is, when I look at this text, there's like three directions you could go that all come from the text, and they're all valid, and I thought through each and every one of those and decided on what we're talking about today to be the way that we're going to go, but if there's something that you have a question about or something that you want to know more about, text that um, number and we'll be happy to, to answer that question for you. Also, as Rob said, uh, if this is your first time here, I'm not the normal preacher, so don't let this be like your uh, evaluation of our church. Craig is our normal preaching pastor. He's on sabbatical, so Craig, happy Father's Day if you're listening to the podcast. Um, hope you're having a great time and we miss you. All right, let's look at Psalm 127. I'm going to read Psalm 127, this is God's holy word. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Well, today I don't really have like three points that all start with the same letter and are uh, cutesy. Um, I, I actually try to do that, so I'm not making fun of people that do. I usually try to. Um, but this morning, I just have four main points that I want to look at. I want to look at, I think we get them from the text, but I think there's building, protecting, providing, 
And then, of course, application. Application for us. How do we live? So building, protecting, providing, and application. But before we jump in, let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we just read your holy word. And God, we're reminded in scripture that your word goes out and it will not return to you void. It will not return to you empty. And so God, I pray this morning that you would speak through me, that you would um, calm anxiety and calm fear that I may have, that I would speak truthfully, and God, that I would trust and rest in you, knowing that it is you who are at work through your Holy Spirit in your people this morning, that you would open our hearts to the glorious truth of the gospel, and that you would shape and mold us according to your word and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's look at the first point, so building. So if we look at this, I'm going to read this again. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And you'll look in the ESV, it says a song of ascents of Solomon. Most Bibles, they'll they'll say that because that's actually part of the psalm is the song of ascents of Solomon. And if Solomon is the author, which there is some debate about whether he is or isn't, but if he is the author, then he knows a thing or two about building projects. If you know anything about Solomon, you'll know that he was David's son. And David wanted to build a temple for God. And God said, yes, I I want a temple built, but it's not going to be you, David. It's going to be your son, Solomon. And so Solomon, in 1 Kings, we see uh, that he is this one who's going to build the house. And look at the way the psalmist draws our attention to this teaching. He says, unless... The Lord. That could be translated, if not the Lord, or if the Lord does not build the house. And see, the original reader would hear this and hear the building the house, and if the Lord is not building the house, then you are wasting your time. Your work is worthless. No matter how hard you're working, no matter what you're building. See, this word house could mean a literal house, but it could also mean any building or family, or organization. This could be read, unless the Lord builds the palace, unless the Lord builds the temple, unless the Lord builds the family. So there's the building, the work, and who's working. Doesn't matter if your building is a good one for a good purpose. If the Lord is not building it, it will be worthless. It doesn't matter how hard you work, but if the Lord is not building it, you're wasting your time. But conversely, even if you're building a shack, even if you're building a shanty, even if you're building something small, if the Lord is building it, it will stand firm. Jesus taught a parable much like this. The wise man built his house upon the rock, and the foolish man built his house Upon the sand. And see, Jesus doesn't talk about what the building was. He doesn't say uh, the wise man built this really big, extravagant house out of this material and the foolish man built this kind of house. He, he just talks about what they built it upon. And he says, The wise man built his house on the rock and the foolish man built his house upon the sand. And in the end, one house stood and the other did not. So, again, if the author is Solomon, then this could be talking about the temple. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it 
labor in vain. Solomon was in charge of building the temple. And this would have been an important house. This was the first time in Israel's history that they would have a permanent building where God would dwell. It wouldn't be the tabernacle. It wouldn't be this mobile building. It would be a permanent place where God would dwell. And there were a lot of workers. It's estimated over 100,000 workers worked on the temple. And I think the psalmist with this in mind says, even in this situation, unless the Lord builds the house, all that labor is in vain. All that labor is meaningless. All that labor is worthless. I mean, what does he mean? I mean, if you're building the temple, I mean, surely that something that overtly for God is going to be something that God is in, right? Something that God is going to bless. Well, listen to 1 Kings 9, 1 through 9. So 1 Kings gives us an account of this building of the temple. Look what it says in verses 1 through 9. It's, As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I've heard your prayer and your plea which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them. And the house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss. And they will say, why has the Lord done, this, uh, done thus to this land and this house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold unto other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. So Solomon doesn't walk with the Lord, even though he's building this temple, even though God is, is blessing it and God is, is putting his name on it, if Solomon turns away from the Lord, even this building, God says, even though it gets completed, will be destroyed. Well, what about us today? I mean, I'm sure in a room this size, we probably got some architects. Let's hear it for the architects. We probably got, yeah, there you go. We probably got some construction workers. And of course, this would literally apply to you because you're building literal houses. You're building literal buildings. But many of us today, we're not like maybe two, three hundred years ago where we find a land and we chop down trees and we build our own house, like some of the movies I've seen. I've never built my own house by hand. Many of you have. Uh, 
But there's got to be other application for us, right? If you're not somebody who's physically building a house or a temple, what's the application for us? Well, if we look at this word house, it could also be translated into any building or even as a family. So today, in our family-centered culture, I need to ask you, are you building with or without the Lord? Are you trying to build your family apart from the Lord? Are you trusting that it is His work that will build your family? Or are you trusting in the work you are doing? Are you trusting the family devotions or Sunday school or youth group? Or are you trusting in the work of the Lord for your family? I think this applies even more than to immediate family. Are you trying to start a nonprofit or a ministry? but not trusting the Lord and entrusting that work to Him? I think even churches can be started. And if not trusting in the Lord and entrusting that work to Him, in time, they will crumble. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. So I want to picture this with a picture. Would you go ahead and mentally think about this? I want you to think about and picture a boat. It's not a, not a ship, not, not ginormous, not, not a small boat, not super tiny, but decent size. This is an old boat. It doesn't have a motor, but it uses sails. And I don't know if you've ever had experience with a boat like this, but it takes some work just to even hoist the sails and get them in position and to steer the rudder of the ship. You could break into a sweat, you could get tired just getting the sails in position and just steering the ship. And you can work hard at getting the ship ready, but you cannot control the wind. No matter how hard you work, you cannot make that boat move. What makes the boat move is the wind. And that's a picture, I think, of here of working with the Lord. Well, if that's building, what does the psalmist say about protecting? Well, let's see. If we go to the second half of verse 1, it says, Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Cities depend on watchmen. One of my favorite pictures of a watchman is Disney's Robin Hood. If you've seen it with the fox, you know, as Robin Hood. Uh, and there's this scene towards the end of the movie where Friar Tuck is. Uh, in prison, he's in prison for not paying taxes, and he's facing execution, and he's in jail. And you have the sheriff, and you have Nutsy, the guard, who's the, he's like a, a vulture with a hood on and a crossbow. And you've got the sheriff kind of falling asleep because it's the middle of the night, and Nutsy's walking, and, you know, three o'clock, and all's well. Nutsy's the watchman in this scene. And cities back then were Similar, they had watchmen who had to stay awake. And if not for the watchmen, the city could easily be overtaken by enemies. Enemies could come at night with no watchmen, and they could come and attack uh, and take over the city. So the watchmen were not only the first line of defense, they, they were the defense at night. And their job was to stay awake. Have you ever tried to stay awake when you're supposed to be asleep? That's hard work. It reminds me of this college trip that we took with some friends, and we had this great idea. It was an 18-hour drive, and we didn't want to, like, fly because it was too expensive, and 
uh, we didn't want to break up the trip because people had work. And so we, we planned it out perfect that we had a bunch of drivers and we had it scheduled that we were going to drive the 18-hour drive nonstop. And so we would break it into shifts and we'd have different drivers. And one driver, when he wasn't driving, would be sleeping in the back of the, the van. It was like a 15, we had two 15-passenger vans, so he'd lay in the back and take a nap. It was a great plan. We got a whole bed made for drivers that aren't driving. And then came my turn. So it was my turn to drive, and I had the 1 a.m. till when we get there shift, which was like a seven, maybe eight-hour section of the trip. Uh, I know that doesn't divide into 18 evenly. We had three drivers, but I think I took a bigger section. Uh, Anyway, so after a little nap, I hop in the driver's seat, and I've got my friend in the passenger seat, and he's like, Aaron, we got this. I'm going to stay awake with you the whole time. I'm going to keep you awake. We got this. And like a half hour later, he and everybody in the van was out. And I don't know if you've ever been driving, but this is, this is in Florida with no lights on the road. We're driving on our way to Orlando. Everybody in the van asleep. My body is like, hey, Aaron, this is when you're normally asleep. It's 2 a.m. You should be asleep. And I'm fighting to stay awake. And I'm worried because as the driver Everybody in the van's safety depends on me staying awake. That's like the picture here with the watchmen. They they were literally, they, they were the line of defense. They were the people who the city was depending on, and their work was to stay awake. But I think you start to see the main point of the text coming out here. Look what he says, unless the Lord watches over the city, all that work that the watchmen do to stay awake is in vain. See, the watchmen stayed awake in Egypt the night of the Passover, but the firstborn of the Egyptians still died. What about us today? I'm a, again, assuming in a group like this, we probably have some people who are working security, literal security, or maybe military uh, and, you know, police. Yeah, you, you definitely have a literal application here where, Unless the Lord is with you, the protection that you're offering people is in vain because it's ultimately the Lord who is in charge of our safety. But this word city could also stand for family again. Could stand for church, organization. So let me ask you, are you trusting in your security system for the protection of your family? Are you trusting in your internet filters or your media choices to keep your family safe? And please don't understand me, this is important stuff today. I do think media filters are important. I do think internet filters are important. But the question is, where is your trust placed? What about your children? Are you trusting in your school choice as what's going to keep them safe? Despite all our best efforts Despite all our striving, it is the Lord who will keep and protect our families. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. Well, that's protecting. Let's look at providing. Again, in our psalm, verse 2. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. The psalmist is talking about provision. 
He's saying if you're waking up early and going to bed late because you're worried, you're wasting your time. It's God who gives to his beloved. And so here we have, uh, there's a difference in translation. If you have an ESV Bible in front of you, it's what I just read. It says, um, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. But there are other translations, like the New American Standard Bible would, would translate this as, uh, it is in vain that you rise up early, go to, uh, late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved even while they sleep. And when I was putting this together, I think both of those have application. This is actually one of the routes that I think you could go in, in preaching. This is one of the three messages I think you could preach from this passage and it would be completely true. I think you could preach about sleep. I think you could preach about how sleep glorifies God. Please don't sleep yet. Uh, <laughs> how sleep glorifies God. How, how it contrasts God who never sleeps and us who need sleep. It's like a third of our life we sleep. And so I think you could preach about that and I think you could say, yeah, he gives to his beloved sleep. But if you look at verse 2, Look at the question that's in view. If you've got somebody who's anxious, somebody who's getting up early and going to bed late because they're worried about providing for their family, they're worried about things. Listen to what the psalmist would say then, and this is why I think we're going to go with this today. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Why, psalmist? You've got to give me something. Why? why? Why is it bad for me to go to bed late and get up early eating the bread of anxious toil. Well, he says, because God even gives you your needs while you sleep. Your staying awake isn't going to provide for you. Ultimately, God is going to. God will supply all your needs. And not only that, he'll give you and give to you while you're sleeping. What a great amount of anxiety would be lifted if we would hear and believe those words. Our loving Father will give us our needs while we sleep. And I think that's why he jumps to children in verse 3. I think about that. So I think he's giving an example. What's the difference between families that try to have kids and can't and families that sometimes even accidentally have kids more or less they're doing the same thing maybe some differences more or less they're doing the same thing what the difference is is that God gives those children and sometimes he doesn't give those children and he has reasons why he does and why he doesn't but he's the difference. It's not that this couple over here worked so much harder and so much better. It's not that this couple over here who has kids is more deserving of kids than this couple over here. And I think that's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying there, that's why he says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. That word inheritance. Behold, they're an inheritance from the Lord. The fruit of the, the, fruit of the womb, that word can be translated as wages. So God's, God's just giving freely. He's giving children to those who have children. And I think that's what the psalmist is saying. He's given us a picture that these extremely valuable resources at the time, children were 
They're super important and they're a blessing to us today. But back then, uh, in many ways, they were a lifeline for the family. They were a literal inheritance for the family. They were those who would work the land and keep the animals. They, w- they would provide for the family. Children were so important back then. Again, they are today, but so important and such an important, valuable resource is not a result of work. They're not a result of good works. They're not a result of getting up early and going to bed late, although maybe some of those contexts were involved. The word reward is not how we think about it. It's like wages. And I think the psalmist is contrasting the frenzied, anxious work that comes from the belief that I am 100% responsible for everything that I have to do. And there are dads here this morning on Father's Day, and you're aware of the responsibilities that you have. You're aware of the weight of the responsibilities that you have, the work and providing for your family and protecting your family. You're aware of that burden. But I think there's so many of us here this morning that are carrying a burden heavier than we were intended to carry. Because the truth is, from God's word, you are not 100% responsible for those, requi- or those uh, uh, things that you have to do, the responsibilities that you have. Ultimately, it is the Lord who works. Ultimately, it is the Lord who provides. And I think that's what he's doing. He's contrasting that frenzied, anxious work with what happens at pregnancy. We can do all this work and preparation. We can can work, we can schedule, we can plan, but it is God who gives the blessing. And God gives to his beloved even while they're sleeping. And what a contrast with with God. We sleep again almost a third of our lives, and, and here God never sleeps. God does more while we are asleep than we could in our entire lifetime. Well, this is probably the most relevant for us today. I think if we think about this passage, we have uh, a tremendous ability to get a tremendous amount of work done. Today, we have so much ability to get so much done, but yet we've never had so little free time. We've never had a time of more sedentary jobs, but yet we have almost an epidemic of people who are fatigued and tired out. Anxiety is at an all-time high, and this all while we have technological advances that allow us to have more control than ever before. Why is that? I think it's because that's not how God has designed us. We're not in control. Jesus says in Matthew 5:36 that we can't even make one hair white or black. We are not in control. God is. And the more we try to trust in our own strength and our own ability, the more the pressure is on us, the more restless and anxious we become. And that's what Jesus said in his teaching on anxiety. Therefore, I tell you, he says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? 
And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day. Uh, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Well, I think, I mean, I think that's, that right there, Jesus' teaching, I think, is the application. I'm going to give some practical footholds, but it's to seek first the kingdom of God. How do we, how do we trust the Lord in our building? How do we trust uh, the Lord in protection? How do we trust him in provision? It's to recognize that apart from him, we can do nothing and to trust him. But I do want to say something real quick. I think sometimes we hear a passage like this and there are some who hear... Now, this is another message we could go into, I'm not going to, but who hear about the sovereignty, that's what this teaching would be, the sovereignty of God, his control, his supremacy over all things. And there are some people who hear that, and they, they respond in what's called fatalism. It's just to kind of, well then, if God's ultimately in control, if God's going to save who he's going to save, and he's going to work, and if he doesn't work, then it's in vain, well then, I'm just going to kind of let things happen. Well, that's an erroneous, sinful view of what God's sovereignty is supposed to evoke in us. That's not what his sovereignty should bring about in our lives. Um, and so, again, I'm not, that's, that's all I'm going to say. I'm just going to say that's wrong. Uh, we talk about that on the podcast if you have questions about that. Again, that could be a whole other message. But I did want to mention that. I do think this passage addresses two people. So I want to look at these two people, and I have three points of application in the next few minutes as we close. And we can run and get steaks, Dad, and it'll be great. But I think there's two groups whom this text addresses. There are some people who t- here today who you, you hear this teaching and you're not really striving or working hard to try to build or protect anything. You're seeking to avoid as much work as possible and to be entertained and amused along the way. There are employees here who are not seeking to build a better company, but just taking a paycheck and leaving. There are those here who are not having any trouble sleeping, but you're more like the sluggard in Proverbs 6. There are many fathers who have been missing in action when the building of the family was happening. Many dads who out of convenience or lack of competence or fear, have abdicated the role of the primary builder of the family and protector and provider. There are dads whose addictions have opened up the family to all sorts of danger and attack, and I believe this passage is a call back into the role that God has called us into. And it's not too late. 
Children are a blessing from the Lord, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, but they need a dad who loves them and cares for them, and a dad who won't give up on them. I think it's one group. I think the other are there are those who are working, but in our striving, our hope is not in the Lord. Our trust is not in the Lord, but in ourselves. We need to be reminded that God is ultimately sovereign, that we are not. To hear that, brothers and sisters, we're not in control. We're not ultimately in control. God is. We can work to build, to protect, and provide, but unless the Lord builds, protects, or provides, all of our work is in vain. There are those here today who describe yourself. You'd, if you had to pick one word to describe yourself, it would be anxious. Anxious. You are never at rest. Never able to stop working and worrying about working and worrying that you didn't do enough work and thinking about what you have coming up tomorrow. So much so that you wake up early and have trouble falling asleep. Well, what do we do? How do we stop this? What, how can we, if that's us, how can we... How can we stop this? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's where I'm going. I've got three points of application, then we'll close. The three things I, I want to say in application is, uh, and they do start with the same letter, so there you go. I got some alliteration in the message. Um, the way that we apply this, I think the way that we walk this out is to turn, to trust, and to try. Turn, trust, and try. First of all, to turn. If you have never Put your faith and your trust in Christ. If you've never turned to Christ, I plead with you to do that today. Turn from your sin and turn to the Lord. It's not easy, but the Spirit will empower us. What does your sin offer you but a meaninglessness, a worthless striving, and ultimately death? Christ stands ready with his arms open to receive you this morning if you would only turn to him. See, Jesus, we're talking about building. Jesus was the stone that the builders rejected. But this stone has become the cornerstone. And in him, God is building his church. And that building will not be built in vain. Jesus says he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're called to turn to Christ and turn away from our sin. But after turning, and after turning from our sin into the Lord, we need to trust him. Not our good works. Not our good deeds. All of our good works and good deeds, the Bible says, are filthy rags. But many of us are still trusting in our good deeds to make us right before God. We're bringing our church attendance, we're bringing our Bible reading, we're bringing uh, all the bad things that we thought about doing but didn't do, and we're, we're bringing those before the Lord and saying, look, look, isn't this great? And the Bible says they're filthy rags. Many of us are building our lives on this sandy ground, and we are foolish. We need help to trust the Lord, and this can take work, but as a Christian, we're empowered with the Holy Spirit, and he will help us remember our Savior's words. When he says to us, this is Jesus, says, I go and prepare a place for you. Again, building. 
I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. Jesus is building for us. We don't have to worry. He will work in us to build his church and to build our home in glory. And unlike the disciples who fell asleep in the garden, our God never slumbers nor sleeps. And like we read earlier in Matthew 6, our God will provide for all of our needs so we don't need to be anxious about anything. And this, in, in my life, the way that this works out, I'm in sales, and I have a 100% commission job. I don't know if you know what that is, but that means if I don't sell anything, I don't make anything. It can be a very anxious job. But the way that I apply this in my life is I, I've, first of all, obviously I've turned from my sin and turned to the Lord, but it's a daily practice where I turn away from the, the temptation to anxiety. I turn away from the temptation to put my trust in myself. And then I remind myself of God's promises to me. And I remind myself of passages like Matthew 6. And I, I turn to trust the Lord and trust Him. And then when I get sales that come in, I, I turn that to praise to the Lord. And I thank Him. I say, Lord, this, this wasn't a result of, although it involved lots of work, it isn't a result of my work. It's a result of your free gift to me. And so I, I thank you for this. And I ask that I would use uh, the resources from this sale for your glory. It also works itself out into taking more time off and time to spend with my family. I'm trusting the Lord that my working, although I could be working more, my, my working is going to be trusted to the Lord so that I can take rest and be with my family and not try to work from sunup to sundown every day, all day. So our trust is in the Lord and through Christ and his finished work on the cross. And we are adopted as children. And as his children, he will provide for our every need. Well, it's turning, trusting, and trying. And that's what I gave in the example that the trying, it's not, again, not fatalism. We don't say, okay, God, you're sovereign, and now I'm just going to sit back and Jesus take the wheel. Please don't do that. Jesus, take the wheel. I'm just going to wait for you to provide and for you to build because I don't want to build in vain. No, what he tells us is we're, we're supposed to work. We were created for good works. We're supposed to try. And I know this sounds simple and crazy, but this really is a call of God's word. Look at Philippians 2, 12 to 13. We're called to work. We're called to do hard work, but to know and trust that ultimately it's God. To both, who both works and wills for his good pleasure. So we're not sitting back and Jesus take the wheel. We should be more like climbing with a safety rope on or bumper bowling. Man, we should just be free to like, man, I'm not even worried about, I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to work according to his word and according to his glory. I'm going to work with joy. And my work, trusting in him, will not be in vain. I think there's, an analogy that I want to share that encapsulates this. We're gonna, I'm going to share this analogy and then we're going to close uh, with a time of singing. But I want you to think about, think about that boat that I talked about at the beginning. So you pictured that mid-sized boat. <laughs> it's a large boat. I don't know why the size is important. It's big, but not super big. So you have this boat and you're on this boat. Remember, this boat is sail-powered. It's only the wind that moves this boat. 
But I want to expand on it a little more. See, it's not just God who controls the wind. If we really understand God's word, we, we understand that it's God who gives us life. So us as the sail operators, God gives us life. And not only does he give us life, he holds the molecules of the boat and the water together. And he upholds the physics of the universe that make that boat able to move. And now if you think about that boat and you think about how much control of that boat is dependent on, the God, on God and on his work, I want you to picture that boat in the middle of a huge storm. And the waves are churning and the wind is blowing, so much so that you can't see. The wind is howling and the boat is rocking. And as you are shaken back and forth on this boat, you make your way down to the hull of the boat. And there, in the middle of this storm, down in the hull of the boat, you find Jesus asleep on a bed. And you wake him up in a panic, and and you say, "Don't, don't you know about the storm? And he calmly asks you if you'd like to lay down. And then you proceed to calmly lay your head down into his lap. And he calmly rebukes the wind and the waves and reminds you that he is in control and that he has your good in mind. That's where we need to go. That's where we need to go. We need to recognize that God is in control. That we can turn from our sin. That we can trust in Him and feel the joy and the freedom to go out and try the works He has called us to do. Let's close as we sing a song that summarizes this plea to the Lord to go with us in all of life. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.